Genesis 12, 1 through 9 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had commanded him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that at this time, as we come to your word, believing in faith that through your word, your voice speaks to your people. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and soften our hearts, Lord, prepare our hearts to receive what you desire to say, Lord. I pray that you would author my thoughts, that you would anoint my lips, that you would would prepare me to proclaim your word faithfully as I ought to preach. And Lord, we pray that you would call us deeper into intimacy with you, Lord, that you would call us deeper into our faith, that you would call us deeper into boldness in our faith, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts, God, today, that we would go from just believing things about you and entrust our entire lives to you, God. Help us to not just hear these words, but to obey them. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our culture is becoming more and more willing to accept the mystery of a spiritual world. Gone are the days of the modernists' need for empirical evidence to prove the existence of something. We are more and more willing to receive the idea that there is something outside of the material world, something outside the physical world that we can interact with. Just go to any craft fair and find the person selling crystals. There will be many of them. And talk to them about this mystical power that they believe these things have. Go into any of the trinket shops here in Carpinteria and find books on tarot cards or find books on Native American spirituality. More and more people are ready to accept that there is something outside of this physical world that we can experience. I was listening to a podcast recently where the host was talking about a a spiritual experience that he had while on psychedelic drugs. Even smart people who believe 
and understand how brain chemistry works, believe that they can intentionally manipulate brain chemistry and chalk their trip up to a spiritual experience rather than just tripping. People are becoming more and more willing to accept the mystery of a spiritual realm. Spirituality is becoming mainstream. With the rise in Buddhism and and transcendental meditation or Hindu practices and yoga and all of these different spiritual practices, it's becoming mainstream. But true faith, faith in the true God, biblical faith, crosses a line in our culture. It goes too far. Our culture is offended by it. It makes people uncomfortable. But I believe that true faith doesn't just make our culture uncomfortable. It doesn't just make non-believers uncomfortable. True faith should actually make us in this room and on the patio uncomfortable. The kind of faith presented in our text today, the faith of Abram, if understood correctly, should make us all uncomfortable regardless of our previous notions about God. See, Abram's faith crosses a line. It crosses a line in our hearts. It crosses a line in our experience, and it can even offend us. But at the very base of it, the faith of Abram should make us uncomfortable. Think about it. God calls Abram to leave his country, to leave his kindred, his extended family, and to leave his father's house. Now, however you might feel about your country, however you might feel about your extended family, your crazy aunts and uncles and cousins and all that, regardless of how you feel about your immediate family, what we need to understand today is that country kindred and father's house are the pillars in the ancient world for somebody's identity, their community, and their security, their lineage, their heritage, their future. This was the core of who Abram was, and he was called to leave it all behind. Now, today we like to believe that we can make an identity for ourselves. We like to believe that by what we study in school or what careers we pursue or who we marry or how we spend our time or what hobbies we have, that we can actually build an identity for ourselves. But that's not the case in the ancient world. You don't get to build an identity for yourself in the ancient world. In the ancient world, your identity was assigned to you by what groups you were a part of. They had a very strong group culture. An individual was primarily understood to be a member of a larger group. And so today, people might talk about needing to leave family or leave their homes, their primary communities, the towns they grew up in, in order to find themselves, right? That's something that people do. I need to go find myself. I need to leave everything that I know to go find myself. But that's exactly the opposite in Abram's culture. To leave your family, to leave your country, to leave your kindred is to lose yourself. 
and to lose your identity and to be a wanderer, a sojourner, isolated, vulnerable in the world. And so God is calling Abram to leave behind everything he thought he was and discover who God will make him and what God is going to do in his life. So the kind of sacrifice that Abram is being called to make is so profound, it not only defies social norms, but it defies human nature. Okay, we don't, we don't do this. We don't do what Abram is, is being called to do. We are hardwired to seek comfort. We are programmed to seek security and the preservation of our heritage. And so if we were to put on Abram's shoes for a second, what would it take? What would it take for you to be willing to leave it all behind, to leave the comforts of your own world, to leave the familiarity that has cradled your existence, to leave your safety net, your support systems, your groups, your, your community, to be willing to step away from the promise, the certainty of a future and receive vulnerability, obscurity, and uncertainty. To just willingly step out and go, yeah, give me the unknown. What would it take? Human beings don't do this. We don't give up what is known for what is unknown. Okay, now there's examples throughout history of somebody leaving uh, their, their, their comforts, leaving um, the, the context that they grew up in, in order to pursue something greater. I think of the pioneers of westward expansion, right? Who left what they knew for the hope of striking gold in California. Or we have examples of people who leave their stations in life, leave luxury, leave the materialistic world to live, you know, a, a minimalist or even reclusive life off the grid, right? But in either case, there is either evidence of something greater. People actually were finding gold. There was actually evidence that you could strike it rich if you moved out west. Or they were leaving something that was undesirable. Someone who might get frustrated with the materialistic world and the hurried life wants to leave that for a life off the grid outside of Big Brother's watchful eye. There are reasons and evidence and desirable uh, uh, factors that play into somebody leaving a context for another context. However, this is not the case with Abram. Okay, some will say, well, yeah, he left his context for the promises of God, for the blessings of God. He called Abram to leave his, his country, but God was going to give him the promised land and make him a great nation. Yeah, sure, he was called to leave his kindred in his father's house, but God was going to make his name great and bless him with an incredible family and a new heritage. Or yeah, he left what was familiar, but he left 
for the greater blessings and, and promises of God. It's, there's nothing different between, you know, the pioneers. There's nothing different from anyone who would leave their homeland for a better job or for more money or for lower rent or there's no difference. But there absolutely is a huge difference. Let me ask you this. What did Abram know about God? What did Abram know? Genesis 12, we've only got like 11 pages of scripture before we get to the life of Abram. What did Abram know about God? Did Abram know that God would be faithful to his promises? Think of it. Abram comes from Ur of the Chaldeans, Genesis chapter 11 says. If you have a a map in your Bible of Abram's life, you'll find that Ur of the Chaldeans is in Babylonia. It's in Babylon, the very place in Genesis 11 where everyone was disciplined for building a temple to their own glory, forsaking God and trying to ascend to the heavens themselves. Babylon, that Revelation refers to as the great prostitute who continues to lure God's people into sin and idolatry. Babylon is constantly throughout scripture, a place that is forsaking God and oppressing God's people. Abram is coming from a very pagan culture. Now that doesn't mean that Abram was a pagan, but let's take it a step further. Abram's wife's name is Sarai. Sarai is the name of the wife of the moon god that was worshipped in Ur. She is named after a false god or Abram's sister-in-law, Milcah. Milcah is a title for the goddess Ishtar, also known as, throughout scripture, the queen of heaven, who Jeremiah says continued to lure God's people into sin and idolatry. Abram's culture is not only steeped in pagan religion, but Abram's family is embedded in pagan religion. Now, stepping out of the pagan background and into Abram's practical experience, check this out. So Abram comes from a culture where there are many gods and all of these gods are fickle and warring against each other and and they can't be trusted and they don't really like humans. And the human's goal is to like appease the gods so that they can get on their good side and have good fortune. That's the culture that Abram is coming from. He doesn't know that there is a God who can be trusted. And not only that, we find out in Genesis 11.30, we are told that Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren. She can't have children. This God comes to Abram and says, I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation, which means providing abundant children. Not only does Abram not know that he can trust this God, but his circumstances would convince him otherwise. My wife can't have kids. How can this God make faithful, make good on his promises? There's no reason to assume that Abraham knew God or believed that he was able to be faithful to what he was calling him to. And so listen to this. Abram is told by a God that he does not know 
Now, some will say, well, Abram's from the line of Noah. And if you've looked at biblical timelines, you can even see that Noah, according to the timeline, was alive still during Abram's life. So maybe Abram knew about the flood stories from his grandfather 10 generations ago. That still doesn't mean anything. How many of you would accept the testimony of someone who you ask, hey, why are you a Christian? And they're like, because God saved my grandfather 10 generations ago from drowning. It wouldn't hold water. No pun intended. It, that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, God did this thing in my grandfather's life 10 generations ago. And so I'm, no, this was 10 generations ago. There's, there's, there's no reason to believe that Abram knew God. So Abram is told by a God he does not know to leave everything that he does know to go into a land that God will tell him at a later date in order to experience a blessing he has no guarantee of receiving. And even if God does keep his promises, they won't come to fruition until after Abram is dead. Imagine that. Being asked by a God you do not know to leave everything you do know for a future blessing you don't know if you'll receive and even if you do, you're not going to be around to enjoy it. That's an impossible task. That, the, the idea that God would require that of us makes us uncomfortable. And Abram's response to God's call is what makes him a model of faith throughout the Old Testament. Abram, without hesitation, obeys. Look at verse 4. So Abram went. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. This is the call of true faith. The call of true faith is to obey God whatever it costs. Now, that doesn't just make us uncomfortable. That's offensive. That offends our, 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 our minds, our hearts. That offends our comforts, our securities. That offends our sense of right and wrong. God, how could you call this man to do this thing and expect him to obey? At some level, we're offended by this. It's, it's, like, it's like the rich young ruler that Jesus talks about with his disciples. This man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus eventually tells him, you need to go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. And the man goes away sad, we're told, because he has great wealth. Now, not every person is called to the same thing. Abram's call is unique to Abram, the rich young ruler. His call was unique to him. God does not call all of us to these same things. But there is something in all of our lives that we will have difficulty leaving behind. 
When God calls us to follow him, when God calls us into relationship with himself, there are things in all of our lives that are incongruent to a life of discipleship, incongruent to a life of faith that will have to be left behind. And we will have to make that decision to be uncomfortable to obey God or to keep our comforts and to live at a distance with God. See, the call of Abram demonstrates that when God calls us, nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits. When we come to God and give our lives, we don't give our lives and say, yeah, God, but not this. Nothing is off limits. I remember having a conversation with my son one day, sitting on the floor of his bedroom, talking about what it means to give our lives to Jesus. I said, imagine you have a toy, and that toy is your toy. And that means that you can do whatever you want with that toy. It's yours. It belongs to you. And if you give that toy to somebody else, You can't have any expectation that they will use that toy according to your wishes. If you give it to them, they have the right to do with that toy whatever they want to do with that toy. And right now, our lives, your life, it belongs to you. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Your life belongs to you. You can do whatever you want with it. But I told my son, God calls us to give our lives to him. What does that mean? And he said, it means he can ask me to do anything. I said, how does that make you feel? And he said, scared. I said, why? And he says, because I don't know what he's going to ask me to do. I don't know what he's going to call me into. I don't know what direction my life is going to take. I don't know if I can trust this God with my life. I've not seen enough evidence for myself that he is trustworthy. I've not seen enough evidence for myself that if I give him my life, he will be gentle with it. He will care for it. I've not seen for myself that I can trust him with everything. See, this is the very thing that keeps us from crossing the line and going all in with our faith. This is the very thing that keeps us from God at arm's length. I like the idea of faith. I like the the truths in in Scripture. I like the idea of a God who loves me, who would would call me to to, uh, follow him into blessing. I, I like that idea, but I don't know if I can trust him with all of this. And it keeps us on the fence. You see, we have this fear That if we begin to give some aspect of our lives over to God, that he will continue to take more and more and more until we are left with nothing. And we believe that's unacceptable. It makes us uncomfortable. It offends us. We believe that we should retain some amount of autonomy or some sovereignty over our own lives and, and how we live. And it's, it's, it's because of this 
that for many of you, it's your fear that God might call you to lose everything that prevents you from giving God anything. It's the fear that if I give God this, if I, if I set this, this train in motion, that God is just going to take and take and take. And so because of that, I cannot take the step over that line. And ultimately, this comes from the belief that God is just this cosmic consumer. This, this cosmic taker who's, who's just trying to, to get us to, to give up more and more and more. And no wonder we don't believe. No wonder we don't want to follow Jesus. If that's what we truly believe, if that's the lie at the core of our faith, that God's just going to ask me for more. And I'm going to give him more and he's going to take more and it's never going to be enough. And he's just going to take and take and take. He's never going to be satisfied. Look, no wonder you don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God. You shouldn't believe in that God either. God is not this cosmic consumer. That would be difficult for anyone to accept. See, the things that God calls us to leave, the the good things that he calls us to give up, he doesn't do so arbitrarily. He doesn't do so on a whim just to make you prove your loyalty to him. He calls us to leave behind the things that keep us from receiving and enjoying his blessing. Think of what Abram was leaving behind. Yes, it was the core of his identity. But it was a life apart from God. God asked Abram to leave a life apart from God, to receive the blessings of God. He calls us to put down all of the things that we're trying to carry in our hands, to put it down so we can receive the gift that he wants us to receive. What is God calling you to today? What is God calling you to do today? Some of you know. Some of you know what God is calling you to. You've heard his voice. You've you've seen it in scripture. You've seen his commands. You know the, the, the way life works best. You know what a life looks like that pleases God. You look at your life and you see areas of your life that don't line up with that. And you know today what God is calling you to. You've, you've heard his voice. You've experienced his conviction. You've sensed his prodding. He's put his finger on your heart and he's said, son, daughter, right here, I need you to leave that behind. Maybe it's some sin in your life. Listen, if there is unrepentant sin in your life, then you don't even need to think about this. You know what God is calling you to. He's calling you to repent. And we hate that word, that repentance word. It makes us think of of people holding signs or angry preachers on street corners. But repentance is a beautiful word. Repentance just means 
turning away from that life or that thing that is keeping you from God and turning toward the blessings of God, turning toward intimacy with God, turning toward salvation in God. The apostle Peter said, not repent because you're a miserable people. He said, repent so that times of refreshing may come. Repentance brings refreshing because it turns away from the life that is apart from God and turns toward the life of blessing in God. See, this blessing that Abram was called to receive was to be under God's care, to receive his protection and provision. That's what blessing is. It's to be cared for by God and to experience his blessing, to experience his provision, his protection. The opposite of blessing is curse. To be cursed is to be removed from God's care, to be removed from God's blessing and protection. And so God is calling us to turn from the curse, to turn from a life outside of his care and turn toward a life in his care. And so is God calling you today to give something up, some sin or some vice? Is he calling you to repent? Maybe God's calling you to pursue something great. Maybe he's calling you to pursue, uh, to, to, maybe he's calling you to the mission field. See, missionaries make me uncomfortable. They leave everything for their love for Jesus and their love for the lost. I know people who live on 25% of their income so that they can give the rest of it to the kingdom work. That makes me uncomfortable. Makes me uncomfortable because I have to ask myself, God, would you call me to that? Is that even possible? Maybe God's calling you to pursue something great. Maybe he's calling you into ministry. We're all called into the work of the ministry. Maybe he's calling you into vocational ministry. Maybe he's calling you to sacrifice the salary that you can make at another organization in order to serve God's church in your community, to give up what is possible to pursue the thing that God is calling you to. Maybe he's calling you today to confess. Maybe you have to have a hard conversation with someone that you have hurt or a hard conversation with someone that has hurt you. Maybe he's calling you to confess your faith. Maybe he's calling you to go public with your faith to people in your life who don't know Jesus. Maybe he's calling you to just be more consistent in church or to join a home group or to sign up to serve on Sundays. He's certainly not calling you to less than being consistent at church. He's not calling you to to less than faithful discipleship. Ultimately, what God is calling you to today, what God is calling all of us today is to place our entire lives in his hands. What God's calling us today is to give our entire lives to him. Like Abram, God is calling us to trust him in everything. He's calling us to trust that even the blessings that we think we have, if they're apart from him, are part of the curse. And to experience the gift that God wants for us in his presence.
But listen, God called Abram to do this. And Abram had no assurance that God would be faithful. We, like Abram, are called to give our entire lives to God, but we are not like Abram in that we have assurance that God is faithful to his promises because we have received the guarantee of our blessing ahead of time. See, Abram had no assurance, but we have Jesus. See, Jesus is the proof that anything God asks of us, God himself has already given us. There is nothing that God would ask you to give up today. There's nothing that God would ask you to pursue today that God himself hasn't already given far greater and pursued to far greater extents in Christ. Like Abram, Jesus knows what it's like to leave a kingdom. Jesus knows what it's like to leave his father's house, to leave his comforts, to leave his glory in heaven. Jesus knows what it's like to receive the call of Abram, to sacrifice everything, not to go into a land that he does not know, but to go into a land he knows will reject him. Jesus did so willingly, knowing that it wasn't God's blessing he was going to receive, but he was going to receive God's wrath being poured out on him for the forgiveness of every sin. Jesus obeyed God far beyond Abram was ever called to obey God and received far worse than Abram would ever receive from God so that you could know the blessing of God. So that you could know the blessing of Christ. See, we don't obey so that we are blessed. We are blessed in Christ. Therefore, we have confidence to obey. We have assurance to obey. We know that we can take that step of faith. And on the other side of that line, Jesus Christ himself, intimacy with him is waiting for us. We have assurance that God will not leave us or forsake us. We have assurance that even if we sit in a sweltering room on Sunday afternoons, that God is present with us. We know that if we take that step of faith, Jesus is there to meet us. God doesn't ask a sacrifice from us before he makes a sacrifice for us. And it's because of that assurance. It's because of what we have. It's because we have a greater assurance than Abram had. We have the cross. It is because of that that we know God can be trusted with our lives. We know that he can be trusted with everything. Whatever your circumstances are right now, God is inviting you to trust him. He's calling you to cross that line, to take that step of faith, to go from what you just believe about him to actually entrusting your entire life, your circumstances, and your future to him. And this is scary because we don't know what he'll ask us to do. It's like that conversation with my son. I don't know what he's going to ask me to do. No, you don't. But you know what he was willing to give in order to prove that he is good, in order to prove that he loves you, and in order to prove that on the other side of faith is blessing 
and joy and freedom and refreshing. What could possibly be stopping you today from giving to the one? What could stop you from giving everything to the one who gave everything for you? We need no greater assurance, church. We need no greater assurance than what we already have in Jesus, that he is worthy of it all. Amen? Amen. So let's turn now and respond to these by giving him our worship, by giving him our praise, by giving him our lives. Jesus, your word tells us in Romans 12.1 to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, which is holy, our acceptable, our, our logical, our reasonable worship. It is the logical thing when we know what you have done for us. It is the logical thing to give our entire lives to you as a living sacrifice. And God, I pray that if there be anyone here who does not yet know you, has not yet given their lives to you, that today would be the day knowing that, yeah, it's scary, but you are trustworthy. God, I pray for those of us who do know you, who you're calling into deeper fellowship, you're calling us into deeper discipleship, you're calling us into deeper faith, Lord. God, I ask that you would help us to take that step of faith, that thing that's in our life that ought not be there, Lord, that you would get rid of it. You'd help us to turn from it, that that thing that you're calling us to pursue that we're afraid to pursue, Lord, that you would empower us to pursue it. And God, ultimately right now as we worship, God, I pray that we would experience the love and generosity of our Father in heaven, who doesn't want to rob us of good things, but wants to lavish abundantly good things onto his people. Father, give us your Holy Spirit now. Give us your Holy Spirit to empower a reasonable response, the logical response to these things. And may we give you everything. And as a sign of giving you everything, may we give you praise. May we give you worship. May we lift our voices. Meet with us in this place, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.